Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Airtime. Without any further ado, without even introductory <laughs> comments, I will turn it over to Miss Kitty Goddard. Or Goddard. Well, we are, I bet you can hear me. Um, welcome and thank you to everybody who is here this evening, since I know it is not the most favorable weather conditions out, but we're glad that you're here, you're warm, you can get some good food and beverage and enjoy a great interview and a movie. Um, tonight's interview happens to mark our halfway point for season nine, which is really hard to believe that we're already halfway through another season of airtime. Um, I have to share quickly before we start the interview, I have show and tell tonight um, about some months ago. Um, Air was invited to partner with Four Bullets Brewery, who is one of our good partners for a lot of different events and um, art happenings. And uh, so they came to us and said that they were going to be canning their very first beer, and they wanted to know if we had anybody who would be interested in designing the can for, for them. And of course, Air, Arts Incubator of Richardson, said, absolutely. So today, the artist, and I, I was a mere peon in this process. Um, but today we were invited for the canning and they gave me a premier six pack to show off tonight. And I'm not talking about ab muscles either. Anyway, so here is the new design for their first canned beer, which is the Billion Dollar Blonde. The artist is here tonight. Liz, would you stand up or give a wave? She's sitting back there on the top row. And so anyway, we were really excited because, hey, this is arts creativity at the height. Anyway, so uh, for those of you who like a good blonde beer, it will be on sale at Total Line and More starting this Thursday. So check it out then. Anyway, we were very excited, and um, we got rave reviews, Liz did, so thanks for that. So now I'll turn it back over to David and Brianna, and enjoy the interview. Thank you, Kitty. I, it just reminds me that we was having a conversation the other day about uh, create creatives and artists, and it, if there were no artists, not only would there not be theater or music or dance or, or visual art, but there would be no wonderful designs on beer cans. We would just have very boring everythings. So, uh, as Kitty said, welcome to season nine of Airtime, presented by AIR, the Arts Incubator of Richardson, in partnership with the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Richardson, Texas. Airtime is a signature artist interview series fe featuring artists and creative thinkers in Richardson and the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where artists share about their art and why their creativity makes a difference. Airtime is funded in part through the generosity of Eric and Deanna Wise with Wealthstar Advisors and through a grant from the Richardson Arts Commission. It's November 13th, 2008, and tonight's creative guest is performing artist, singer-songwriter, coach, and author, Brianna Rellis. Let's welcome Brianna. So I guess like a job interview, let's just start with the tell us a little bit about yourself. But I guess tell us how you got into the arts because you, as we'll talk about, have been involved in many aspects of them. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you, um, Arts Incubator Richardson, for having me. I am a huge Richardson freak. I actually was born and raised here. 
I'm a proud uh, Eagle, Richardson Eagle. I went to Heights Elementary. I went to West Junior High. So I'm very proud to be a Richardson native. And my family and I live here. We bought a house here. And now my children are going to Richardson schools. So we are um, really happy to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Uh, as a performing artist consultant and singer-songwriter and author now to Performing Artist Pathway, I've been singing and doing musical theater. Uh, well, I started out in musical theater, but I've been singing my, my whole life. As, I mean, it all started out with like Debbie Gibson back in third grade, you know, singing Out of the Blue at the third grade talent show. So uh, that, that experience led me to um, actually get involved with what was called the Richardson Children's Theater at that time here in Richardson. Now it's the Repertory Company Theater. From there, I auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club back in the day when Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake were on the show. I was a top 10 finalist in Dallas for the Orlando um, season of Mickey Mouse Club at that time. I, that fueled me more. I did musicals all through high school, went to Pepperdine uh, University in Malibu to, um, to be a theater major. From there, did commercial and radio voiceovers, and then back to music. So it was a long journey. After I graduated college, I was totally burned out of musical theater and did strictly music and singing um, solo artist stuff. So at that time, I was a um, contestant on American Idol season four when Carrie Underwood won that season. So I was a top 100 finalist uh, in Hollywood that season. And um, gosh, from there, you know, I stayed in LA and did music for a few years, and then I actually relocated back to Dallas with my family a couple years after that. And so it's been a long journey to get here. Now, were the arts important to your family? Was this something that came out of your family or from school? You know, yes, arts were very important to my family, but maybe not performing arts. I think we all enjoyed music. My my brother is a photographer and an artist. My father is a writer. My mom has always done creative writing. Um, I've always written. Uh, maybe it took me a while to get to songwriting, but creativity was always very fostered in my family. I was the first singer in my immediate family, although my mother tells me that I guess my aunts, my great aunts sang. So um, there's music somewhere in the line, but I was one of the first to actually really pursue it and um, enjoy it to the level uh, that I have today. Well, so. it sounds like with that family, you had fertile ground with which to grow. I feel, I feel like I did, yes, absolutely. And, and they didn't think I was too crazy, you know. They, they let me kind of wave my freak flag, so it was good. <laughs> <laughs> and was there band and choir in school? There was no band, there was a lot of choir. A lot of choir, a lot of musical theater. Um, at that time, in order to be in the musicals, you had to be in choir. So the theater magnet at Richardson was just developing. Uh, I was not a part of what it has become today. Um, thankfully, the, the theater magnet has really become something wonderful at Richardson High School. So. so when did you decide that the arts were going to be something that you would do for a living? When I was in high school, I thought I would end up in New York City to do musical theater. And that didn't pan out the way that I wanted to. So I always thought, well, I have to either go to New York or I have to go to LA. And I ended up in LA. And I always knew that I would do music on my terms. It, I didn't ever feel like I would take the traditional route. 
And that's been very true to form up until now. Um, and it's actually been really incredible because when I was thinking of myself as an artist, you know, in my early 20s, at that time, you really did need a record label. Now, the music industry has changed in such a way to where you don't need a label anymore. You can create your own music. You can launch your own labels. You can launch your own records. You can promote music across the country, across the pond, you know, anywhere. So you can you create and build a fan base because of the internet um, without a record label, without a manager. So again, when I say I'm doing music on my terms, that's, that's a, I didn't know that that is what it was gonna be or that that's what it meant but that's certainly what has happened. Now, are you saying just being a YouTube sensation, or are there other ways to do go about that? Well, YouTube definitely is a platform that people use to build a fan base, but I'm actually talking more about Instagram and Facebook and the power of Instagram and Facebook due to the billion of um, users to the platform. Uh, you have the opportunity to reach more people today with your music and with your art than ever before because of these platforms. So um, when you're creating good content, strong content that connects with people, and when you have strong messaging and good marketing and brand continuity, you're able to create um, fans who want more and who want to consume the art and creativity that you are producing. So it's definitely a way to get your music out there and um, those platforms, although you know everyone has their complaints about them, um, they're still a really incredible way to reach new fans and to to sell your music or to sell whatever art you know you're creating. Well, and this whole notion of social media and, and relationships with your fans seems so. It, we've kind of come into this new realm of personal relationships where you say, oh, look, someone, someone re Britney Spears retweeted me, or whatever, or someone liked my video, or, or 10,000 people have clicked thumbs up. That's right. So it, it really, it, it's, it's as much about the, the knowledge and relationship you have with this artist as it is about the music itself. Well, I would agree with that. And if you think about, imagine, you know, when you go to a concert, if any of you are, is there anyone out there that enjoys going to live shows or live concerts? Okay, so when you're at the live concert or the live show and the artist is on stage and they're not communicating with you, they're not telling you the story, they're not engaging with you, don't you kind of feel like, oh man, like, well, the music sounded nice, but I... I wanted a little piece of the action. Like I wanted a little piece of what was going on on stage. I want to get to know the artist better. I want, I'm here because not only do I want great music and I want to hear a beautiful you know, record or a beautiful song, but I also want to get to know this artist more or I want to feel something, right? So it's the same thing with social media. You know, nowadays the accessibility that we have to artists um, is certainly at its height. But at the same time, we do want more. We, we not only want to consume the photographs and the music and, and everything we possibly can, especially if we're a super fan of this artist, but we also, as a super fan, we want to know what their brother's name is. And not that that's you know, anything new, because if I think back to any crazy you know, band that I loved, I, oh, I knew everything about them. But nowadays, you can actually 
you can just, it's kind of creepy, actually, you how see much them you can... dinner. Yeah, you can really find out quite a bit. But to me, I think when the artist is willing to uh, let us in, allow us to be a part of their life a little bit more, that just, again, it creates that super fan where we're going to buy and consume anything that they put out there because we feel like we know them. We feel like we're a part of their lives. And they're a part of our lives. Their music has touched our lives in some way. I mean, my husband and I, you know, when Adele came out with her second album, we sat on the couch, we opened a bottle of wine, and we listened from the first track all the way to the end, every single song, and we just sat there and enjoyed it. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like to be a superstar now, you can't have any privacy. Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, I think a lot of times I also talk about with... So I, as a performing artist consultant, I work with indie artists and bands to help them in their careers and their music business, to help them get strategic, help them, you know, get very clear on what it is they're trying to get out of their music career, and then set them up, get them organized, and set up a plan of action so that they can execute and actually get to where they want to go. And a lot of times I ask these artists and these bands, what is your definition of success? in music because for some their definition of success is to be the next pink or Adele or, or whomever for others they just want a sustainable career in music which is very possible today and they just want to tour and build fans and share their music so it's a very it's still very pure not everyone wants to be f crazy famous and um, I, I personally am in that boat. I, I've always said that. I just want to make a career uh, doing what I love, uh, make a living doing what I love. That's, that was, that's my measure of success. Um, now everyone is different, and there's no right or wrong answer there. But I always ask my clients to make sure they're very clear and understand what their measure of success is. So tell us about some moments in your career that you have loved. What was your favorite musical theater role? Oh, that's a great question. My favorite musical theater role, which I would love to reprise, is Rosie from Bye Bye Birdie. Ah. I was uh, Rosie my sophomore year at Richardson High School, and to this day, it's one of the, my fondest memories at Richardson, and I love the music, um, and I actually ended up marrying a, an amazing Mexican man, so it's perfect for the role of Rosie, um, and the music in this show uh, that she sings is very powerful and I've always loved it. What about your favorite voiceover gig? My favorite voiceover gig was probably my first voiceover gig which was a national quick trip uh, commercial. So it, it was just really goofy. It was a, I was in there in the booth with another guy and it was kind of like a, oh, schmooky, you know, it was just, it was really bizarre actually but it was exciting because it was quick trip and at the time um, Quick Trip was not, it, it was actually more regional because it wasn't, QT hadn't been a fully, uh, fully national company at that time yet. So, but I knew QT because I'm from Dallas. And so and we so had the people here. called you up and say, I heard you on the radio. Yes, they did. It was very bizarre. But I was in California at the time, so I didn't hear it. <laughs> yes. So, what about this rock band? Rock band. The one that I used to be in? That you covered for, that you were in. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so when I moved back from California to Dallas, it's actually a great story. My husband and I were in Las Vegas. 
we were visiting. We had moved back to Dallas, and I wasn't um, singing for for about a year and a half or so. We'd had my our first daughter, and Victor says, uh, you know, honey, just because we moved to Dallas doesn't mean you have to stop singing. In fact, if you don't start singing soon, you're going to make yourself crazy, and you're going to make me crazy. So if you could please start doing music again, uh, that would be really great for both of us. So sure enough, got back from Vegas and uh, got an opportunity to sing at the House of Blues about a month later. And from there, met a bunch of musicians and got plugged in into the Dallas music scene and formed a little band and uh, who I'm still you know, in touch with today. We still gig every once in a while and then just started touring around Dallas. It was a lot of fun. And this band is called? Oh, it was just the Brianna Drellis Band. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, that was just my band. <laughs> it was cool. We had a good time. But it was a lot. I, you know, I have three children. I have a 13-year-old, an almost 9-year-old, and a 5-year-old. So on top of that, we own a restaurant. Uh, we own Victor Hugo's in Oak Cliff. And I'm running my own um, consulting business. So to be gigging every weekend, it took its toll on me. And although I enjoyed it, it kind of became a little bit of a drag. <laughs> so I had to table it and... And now I, I gig and sing every maybe three months, which to me is perfect because it's a little bit here, a little bit there. I still get my fill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about your adventure on American Idol. Idol was uh, fun, scary, a devastating, amazing experience. From standing in line at the time, there was about 100,000 people who auditioned the season that I was on. And that was when people wrapped around the stadiums. It, today, you can get an audition in a time. You literally just show up and you have a nice private audition and it's very civilized. But back then, we, I mean, we had sleeping bags, it was cold, you lined up, you, you literally circled around a huge stadium and you stayed overnight to then just wait the next morning again. So it was, a, it was a big deal. I actually auditioned twice before, in two different locations before I actually made it uh, as a finalist. So I finally um, made it in San Francisco. And the producer who, um, who said no to me in Las Vegas recognized me as I'm going in to audition for Paula, Randy, and Simon. And she looks at me and she says, green pants. Because at the time in Vegas, I wore these neon lime green pants to my audition. And she remembered me from Vegas. And she goes, okay, don't mess up. Go, you know, you can do this. You know, it was really pretty incredible. So um, Hollywood was, was intense. Unfortunately, I royally uh, messed up that audition because I moved. And I didn't notify Idol that I had moved. And they had sent the audition packet to my old apartment. So I didn't get the music. And all summer, I'd been preparing th about three to five songs um, of something completely different that they wanted me to sing. So a week before the Hollywood round, I actually got the correct music that I was supposed to be preparing. And uh, long story short, I, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> but What did you sing for your audition? I sang The Letter by The Box Tops. And, you know, um, da -na -na, ticket for an airplane. Uh, something fast me. Oh, the lonely days are gone. I'm a going home. Uh, my baby just wrote me a letter. There's that one. And then I also sang, and these are these are songs that they wanted us to sing, right? And then there was um, some 
Ain't no valley high, ain't no mountain low, ain't no river wide enough. If you need me, call me, what, right? Whatever that one is. Ain't no mountain high enough. That one. Ain't no river low enough. Right, everybody knows that one, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> it was the box top song that I completely botched. It was devastating. <laughs> so they tell you what to sing? They, they gave you 10 songs, and they said, okay, pick two. And they were all, like, Barry Manilow and, you know, Dusty Springfield. It was, they're fine. They're lovely songs. But they, I was preparing Melissa Ether Etheridge. Like, I was preparing soulful rock stuff, which is more my vibe as an artist. So it was just kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah. And the cameras were, like, flying in and from all over. So I'm singing and there's cameras coming and I'm like, so I'm kind of like dodging them. And then I go that way and it was just really distracting. It was, it was hard, but it, you know, it's a great experience. Couldn't be happier that I did it. And I will always say I'm thankful, very thankful for the opportunity. Well, and if you have a student, you can now pass that experience on. Absolutely. In fact, I just wrote, so my website for any of you guys who are interested in checking it out is briannarellasmusic.com. And I have a blog on there. And I just literally two weeks ago uh, posted my top 10 tips for anyone auditioning for a reality television show. Uh, and it is, it's true. It's all top 10. You, you got to read it if you're ever thinking about auditioning for a reality show, because it's really important, and it really what it boils down to is that it's so much more than your voice. You could have the best voice. I can't tell you how many people I saw get turned away, but it's all about the story. It's, it's, it's the whole package, and people have to remember that they're casting a show. They're not just looking for the most wonderful voice. It's television. It's entertainment. So it's very important that you have your story straight. Well, and it's probably as much for Survivor or Amazing Race as well. I would agree. And they're still casting a show. Yes. So out of all of this singing and voiceovering and banding and gigging and stuff, you decided to write a book. How did, what was the light bulb that went off that drove you to decide to do that? And, and then let's, let's talk about the book. Cool. So this week I'm actually celebrating the year anniversary of Performing Artist Pathway, and this is the book right here. So I'm very, very excited about that. And um, in fact, I have a couple of copies um, in the back. My husband, Victor, you want to wave? Say, what's up? We have some books back there if anyone's interested in purchasing one today. Otherwise, you can find it on Amazon. Performing Artist Pathway was actually the second book that I was going to write. Um, <laughs> I started the book process for about a month writing a completely different book that had nothing to do with, with music. It was actually all about being a mom, and, and it wasn't even about that. It was about having, you know, college. It was about the, the good, the bad, the ugly in college, which maybe I'll write that book at some point. Um, but I always wanted to write a book. I didn't know what that book was going to be about. And two summers ago, after a long road trip, we were driving through Oklahoma, and I tell people that the book fairy came to see me. She kind of flew in, and she's like, okay, it's time to write your book. And then she flew out. And I remember, I literally remember being in the front seat and kind of going, like, thinking, what was that? And on Monday, we get home on Sunday. On Monday, I open my inbox. There's an email from this uh, blogger that I follow saying, 
I'm doing a live webinar on how to self-publish your book. You should check it out. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's a sign. The book fairy came to see me and now there's an you know, email in my inbox, I gotta do this. <laughs> so sure enough, I got on the webinar and it was this really cool uh, presentation on how, not only how to self-publish, but it's, it was very specific. It was how to self-publish your very first book. So the whole idea was, if you can write five pages about something, then you've got a book. That's kind of what, what the idea was. And I was like, well, I've got five pages on a lot of things. So I was all about it. And um, I, again, I started writing the book. And I had this wonderful writing coach uh, who lived in Belfast. And we're on our first call together. And I've basically told him all about this college book, how all, everything, how wonderful it's going to be and how I have it all mapped out and it's ready to go. And he goes, okay, well, remind me what you do again. And I said, well, I'm a performing artist consultant and I'm a vocal coach and singer-songwriter. And he goes, okay, wait. So you're writing a book about college, but this is what you do for a living. I said, yes. He goes, well, guess what? You're going to have to scrap that first book that you've been working on for the past month and you're writing a different book and you're going to write the book that you don't want to write but that's the, right, that's the book you're going to have to write. So that's how Performing Artist Pathway came about. And I knew he was right, but I didn't want to write this book. I, it was a little too close to home, and it would require me to get more vulnerable, and it would require me to um, face a few things that I wasn't quite sure that I was ready to face, some of, some of which are rejection. Uh, this book really chronicles my journey through American Idol, but it also talks about the highs and lows that we experience as artists. I found that there's so many books on how to sing or how to play guitar, but not a whole lot that speaks to what we experience and what we go through as creatives and as artists. So that's what this book is all about. And it, it, in, it includes everything from goal setting to plan of action, how to stay focused when life happens, when there's distractions, talking about networking, talking about dealing with rejection, highs and lows of life, um, and also audition prep as a vocal coach and performance coach. I do a lot of audition and performance prep and really kind of like the game day prep as it pertains to performance. What was your favorite chapter to put together? Hmm, let me see. Um, I would say I like how to stick to your goals in a world full of distractions. I also like how to balance practicality and creativity because I think that many artists have a problem being a business person. So, you know, we're, we're creatives, we're artists. We just wanna write songs and create art. But we also, you know, we also wanna have sustainable careers in art. Well, how do we do that when we're simply focused on the creative side? It's very, very important that as artists, we learn to be businessmen and women as well, and that we um, market ourselves. So those are skills that we have to develop. So balancing practicality with creativity is, was definitely a fun one. Well, especially like we were talking earlier in that notion of not being on a traditional path where you have a manager and an agency and a handler and all of those people doing those things for you. If you are doing it out of your kitchen and have to be all of those things and haven't married well, That's um, right. then... <laughs> I mean, and I it's think true. I think we're I think as creatives, we're naturally attracted to people who are more left brain, linear thinkers, business people, and and can help help us with that. But I I think certainly as an artist myself, we've I always struggle with being focused, and 
And that focus not only helps my business, but helps my art. Absolutely. And then taking the time to step away from it, too. Because I feel like, you know, there's a time to create, and then there's a time to be in the business, and then there's a time to rest. So we can refuel, so that we can go back to the creativity, and then we're on the top of our game in all of it. Because we do take the time to step away from it, and not just like live and breathe it all the time. So yeah. were there any writer's blocks or life happens moments during the book? During the process? You know, I wrote this book so quickly that I didn't allow that to happen. And I got into this awesome groove. Um, has anyone out there written a book before or, or done any sort of project like this? So if anyone, well, let me ask this, is anyone interested in doing something like this, like writing a book maybe? Sure, maybe, okay. So let me tell you what I did and it was really awesome. It, it helped me to write this book very quickly. I did have a writing coach who also encouraged me and gave me a kick in the pants when I needed it. But what happened was I would wake up every morning. Now, I have three kids, so I had to wake up very, very early to do this. And I stayed very, very focused and like diligent on this. Um, my husband can tell you. <laughs> 4.30 in the morning, my alarm would go off. I would write from 5 to 6.30. But what would happen is at 5 a.m., I'd set my timer for 10 minutes. And I'd get all my color Sharpies out. And on a piece of paper, I would write the chapter name. Because I had already mind mapped everything. And I had already outlined what each chapter was. So I've got, you know, 17 chapters here-ish. Mm, yes, I have 17 chapters. So whatever the name of chapter one is, I would write it in the middle of a piece of paper. And then I would mind map that. So I would say, for example, uh, first chapter, how to conduct a personal inventory. Write that in the center. And then in my head, I would just, 10 minutes, timer. I would just start mind mapping everything that came to my mind on how to conduct a personal inventory. And I would, I would, it would be words, it would be colors, it would be phrases, whatever it might be. And my whole paper was full of all this information. Well, that was my chapter. Now I have to just organize it. So then from there, that, that, and I stopped at 10 minutes. I was very diligent about that. So I spent 10 minutes mind mapping. Then I would go outside because it was quiet out there with my phone recorder and I would hold this paper up and then I would start speaking the chapter into my recorder based on all of this mind mapping that was happening around that center. And then from there, I take it back inside and I'd put my earphones on and I would type out the entire chapter based on the nine minutes of recording that I just did outside from what came off of my paper. That's, that's how I wrote the book every single morning. So I actually wrote the book probably in three weeks. And then I sent it to the editor and I mean, I didn't publish it in three weeks, but I mean, I, that's how I knocked it out in three weeks. So it's really sounds easier, but it's, it was easy. I mean, when I did it that way, if you look at it that way, 10 minutes, mind map, go outside, speak it into a phone. Then, and so also when I went to my computer, I would think of other ideas. I would press pause, and then I'm, I would think of another idea, and then I'd add it, and then, you know, so more ideas would come. But, yeah, that's, that was my process. So in the Amazon description for the book, it says, do you feel like you do it all, yet struggle with what's next because you lack direction? So that seems to me to be a fairly universal human condition. That is, it certainly applies to performing arts, but that's just 
good self-help. So is that... Will the, yes. The answer I mean, is yes. That's just having a good life and being successful in whatever you do. You know, I'm glad that you said that because a lot of people who have read this book have told me that they are not performing artists, but this has helped them. And, and it's because what I do as a consultant is take people from stuck to strategic in their music careers. That is my biggest thing. It's because I'm kind of an organizational freak. I love music and I'm a singer songwriter, but I'm also hyper organized and I love inspiring and encouraging people to get their stuff done. I always ask people 10 years from now, what is that one thing that you're gonna regret that you didn't do? And if, if you're gonna regret it, then you need to do it. So now let's figure out how you can do that one thing or two things, whatever that might be. I just think life is short and it happens quick and it's not promised. 10 years from now is not promised. So if there's something that you want to do, you need to go do it. Um, and yes, I think this book is part of that. And that description, I can't tell you how many artists I talk to who are like, there's just, especially because the music industry is changing so quickly and every day there's something new to consume. So all of these artists see all of this information in front of them and they don't know how to proceed. They don't know how to best spend their time. So... Yes, it applies to so many people, but I think the number one thing to remember is to be very specific in what you want. So when you're asking yourself, what do you want to get out of this, be extremely specific and understand the why behind it. So, um, so there's that old notion that it's part inspiration and part perspiration. It sounds to me like once you find your inspiration, your encouragement, that you still have to put in the work. Of course. So how, what, what, what would you say? How much of each is it? Sure. How important is one or the other? Well, I think that if you are in music, if you're in any industry whatsoever, there's a reason why you're in the industry. And you're already, well, most people are already inspired to be there. They might lose their mojo at some point and they have to find their way back to it, which is the reason why your why is very important. Because if you don't have a strong why, which is the emotional and compelling reason why you do things, then you will lose your mojo and you won't know how to get back to um, the road, right? To the destination. Now, to go back to your question, help me out. Just about inspiration yes. and perspiration. So perspiration. So, <laughs> The inspiration, uh, obviously, I believe is there. The perspiration is the execution, and it's the consistent action that you have to take to get to the end result. So the inspiration is very important, but if you aren't taking consistent action, it's just gonna be a lovely idea and a lovely thought, right? So it's so important that you, when I say be very specific and very clear on what it is that you want, then, when you are very clear, you can create that plan of action, which is the perspiration, and then execute upon the plan to get there. So it, I do believe that they go hand in hand. And um, I, I will also say a lot of people talk about you know, a work-life balance and a personal or professional balance. And I personally don't believe in that. I think that balance is important in life, but I think that our personal life is, it does bleed into professional life. I think that 
uh, if we're having a crappy day at home, sure, we try not to al allow it to impact our professional um, performance. But at the same time, we have to be well-balanced and happy at home and, and at work to really feel fulfilled in life. So I think that personal and professional, I do believe that they go hand in hand. And hopefully you can do something in your profession that fills you and brings you joy. Uh, and that, that's part of your personal life as well. So, Do you think luck has become less important now, now that you can be a self-created Instagram, YouTube star? Well, maybe, mm, I think, no, I think luck because you still need luck to become an overnight star on YouTube. I think luck is still definitely a huge part of fame. Right time, right place, um, right people, but even people who know people or have been at it for years and years, they still don't make it to maybe a level that they're looking at, you know, as fame or success or whatnot. I think luck is a weird thing, yeah. I do, but I do think it, it still exists, and I, um, I personally find it to be very odd and el elusive. Yeah. So uh, you you talked about the sort of times of rest, the the fallow times, the the winter times. Um, I certainly, uh, my son is fourteen now, and as a younger child, played the piano, was in choir, played the clarinet, and now just he's somewhat interested but he's a teenager he's in, and and so my great hope is is that this is just a this is a quiet time in his artistic journey how is that how how do you coach teenagers or parents of teenagers sure, who, yeah. who want to be helicopter arts parents yeah yeah i i actually coach quite a few teenagers and their parents and i would say to someone like you you need to let him have his time because you helicoptering is not going to help him. And if it's important to him and if it's in his bones, he will return to it because he has to. It's, I, I firmly believe that when art creativity is part of your fabric, that when you aren't exercising that, you um, either will get depressed or something will feel missing or you'll be off. You know, it's you'll return to it. It'll find you'll find your way back to it in some fashion, and it may not be in the way that you want him to do it, but at some way, I mean, his path will take him back there if that's really in his bones. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does Absol that answer your question? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's been sort of my tack. But mm -hmm. um, so, what advice would you give to third grade Debbie Gibson singing grade school Brianna? Knowing what you know now, oh what advice would you give yourself? I would say, or your parents. right? I would say, Brianna, it's going to be a very long road. Don't give up and just be consistent and stick with it and continue to be true to who you are. And yeah, that's what I would say. Don't get caught up in all the riffraff. Kind of just relax and yeah, enjoy go, go it. with what's in your bones. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah. Any questions from the audience? Kitty, Kitty in the back.
the question was, if you're only doing your gigs every few months, where do you get your inspiration for your songwriting? Yes. Um, in the shower, usually. It's very weird. I, I get a lot of my creative inspiration when I'm on the road, when we go road tripping. I love the open road. In fact, we are going to drive to Las Cruces for Thanksgiving, and I am so excited because every time I get on the road, I get ex you know inspired, and I, I just get things start moving. Um, I have been songwriting f for maybe seven years now, and I have never actually recorded an original song in studio. So in 2000, in January, I'll be going to studio with my producer. So I'm very, very excited. So I'll be laying down either a five-song EP or it might turn into a 10-song album. I have a lot of music. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. So I'll be having some new music in the new year. And I'm thrilled about that. But a lot of these songs are actually inspired by life, by those around us, by friends, by family, um, by the thankfulness that I have. Um, and it's been really incredible putting together this music and this, this album that's going to be coming out. So very, very excited about it. Yeah. I once read a study that said there's a, actually something biological that happens in our brains in the shower and on road trips. Oh, really? Where we're able to turn off the editor. That is unbelievable. And, and let... Those two uh, let, places. Yes, that, yeah. Those are my places, road and, trips and shower. And, well, I think there were, there were some others, too. <laughs> but it lets, it lets our brains turn off, and that's that when, the, when, the, when, the door, when that side is off, we, the, the inspiration just yeah. comes, and the ideas come out of nowhere. But yeah, I literally keep my cell phone by the shower door. And as some, I mean, sometimes I'll jump out of the shower, and my hands are still wet, and I'm like singing into my phone, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty incredible. Other questions? Over here. Absolutely. And I think sometimes time is very helpful for things like that. There's some very emotional things that, you know, I've been through in my life that I couldn't write about right away and that I needed a little bit of space to process, but then also to protect myself. So first of all, the important thing, excuse me for a sec. <coughs> the first thing is hopefully these painful things that you have been through, dealt with, hopefully you have addressed them and dealt with them, felt them fully, and processed it. And if you haven't, then I think that that's the first step because once you can process it in a healthy way, and that might require you going to talk to somebody. I, you know, it, I'm not, not sure exactly where you're at, but once you've processed it, then you can heal. And through the healing, some beautiful creativity can come from that. But that requires time. 
and the space to allow you to process that creativity. Um, and if it's too painful, you know, you can you can kind of muster stuff out. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? And then you can table it. And then you can revisit it when you're in a place because it's really important that you stay healthy and strong, right? So you don't want to get to like a place where you're like drowning, you know, in a corner because it's so difficult to, to go back, you know? But if you can table it, process, and then revisit it at a time where you feel strong, revisit it at a time where you have a little bit of clarity where you're at, and then you can approach it in a different light. Um, but, you know, also remember that your, your beautiful pain uh, can touch and inspire others as well. So take a moment, if possible, to at least get some ideas down. I know a lot of the stuff I've been through, I'll just sort of put an idea and then I'll revisit it later when I feel stronger, right? So maybe just taking a little break from it. Does that help you a little bit? Okay, great. Time for one more question. Over here, in the back. Have you found that being a female in this business has been a, a, a strength or a weakness or a hindrance? I, I personally love being a female in this business, um, and I'll tell you why. One of my missions in the music industry is to be a positive female mentor for uh, indie artists and artists of all you know, levels. Um, and the reason why is because there isn't a whole lot of women in the music industry that, that are out there mentoring. So for me, mentoring is very important. And I also believe that it doesn't have to be a male-female thing. Yes, the music industry is very dominated by men. However, if, if you are creating strong, good, quality work. It doesn't have to be, oh, she's a female producer or she's a female singer or she's, you know. I think for me personally, that's not my focus. My focus is to continue to create quality work and to be trustworthy, um, unique, strong, um, you know, just ethical, right? So that people will respect me for who I am, not because I'm a woman or because I'm a man. So I, I actually mentor a lot of female performing artists, and I have a Facebook group called the Female Performing Artist Connection, and it's all women. And one of my rules is no male bashing. And the reason why is because I'm trying to create a positive, positive environment. And the minute we start bashing men on a female site, that's not helping any of us. So the most important thing for all of us to do is to encourage one another and to team up and to partner and to work together so that we can continue to create quality. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I don't necessarily see it as a hindrance. I'm very, very proud of, of everything that I do, but I also... I don't like to get caught up in the male-female thing. I think it's just very important for me as a woman to stay very positive and focused on my task at hand, 
which is to be the best I could possibly be in my role. All right, we're, we're at the end of our time, which means that it's time for our top 10 short questions. Uh -oh. A window into the mind of Brianna. Yikes. So just give me the first answer that comes to your mind. These would be very easy. Well, most of them will be. So question number one, Chinese food or Italian food? Chinese. Number two, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Number three, your favorite drink on a cold night after an interview in Richardson? Apple cider with Tawaka. <gasps> Number four, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Number five, Stephen Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber? Sondheim. Number six, the one musical theater role you've always wanted to play? Grisabella. <gasps> Number seven, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Eiffel. Number eight, a band that you would love to tour with. Kaleo. Number nine, if you could have a zoo animal as a pet, which one would it be? A giraffe? <laughs> no wrong answers here. Number 10, Gone with the Wind or Wizard of Oz? Definitely Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Everyone, please help me in thanking Brianna Rellis. Thank you so much. And for those of you who are on Facebook and Instagram, you guys can find me at Brianna Drellis Music. I'd love for you guys to keep in touch. Oh, thanks to both of you. That was really interesting. And I have to just share very quickly that I have read Brianna's book. In fact, I'm on pass number two. And now that I know the process for writing the book, that inspires me to do something about some of my thoughts. I'm so glad. And I'm I here know. if you Nobody ever want to talk more. Nobody will want to read them, but I, you know, at least yeah. maybe I can get a start. Anyway, I just wanted to share with you before we watch this great movie that uh, the next airtime will be on February the 12th. And the guest artist will be D.C. Cornish. And D.C. is a nationally known storyteller. And he is on the Texas Commission for the Arts uh, Texas Artist recognized list for 2019 and 20 and we are really excited to have him here and he will be here um, as I said for airtime but it will be part of a month-long storytelling festival that Arts Incubator of Richardson is hosting and presenting so that you will find more information as we near that date on our website we hope that all of you can share in that experience because it's not just about telling stories but it's about how to use a good story to help defray issues, say, in a classroom pertaining to bullying or lots of other issues. So it's going to be very insightful and, and a good time. And the movie will be Big Fish. So thank you all for coming, and thanks to David and Brianna, and uh, enjoy the movie.